The intros are always really hard to do. Yeah. I always have a really hard, because I don't know how to start it. I don't know how to say, hey, we're doing the podcast now. <laughs> Let us get in your ear holes. <laughs> no, that's it. We got it. That's the intro. Yeah. <laughs> so, hello. Welcome to Harley Paranormal. I'm Jerry. I'm Lacey. And today, we're going to talk about something spooky. <laughs> we actually talk about something spooky every day, even when we're not recording it. Yeah. So that's cool. I look in the mirror. <laughs> so this episode's case actually came as a result of an answer to the question from episode one. Our question was, what is your favorite scary movie based on alleged true events? And Matt Toppin on Instagram said The Exorcist, which is actually based on the real life exorcism of Roland Doe. Um, and I actually know a little bit about this case, but I still went ahead and did a whole bunch of research. Yeah, and I know nothing about this case, so it'd be fun to learn. What do you know about The Exorcist? Um, did you ever see it? Yeah, when she goes down the stairs upside down, that will haunt me in my dreams forever. <laughs> That's the only part you recall? <laughs> That's the only part that scared me. Really? Yeah, everything else I was fine with. The stairs thing, I don't like it. I didn't like her potty mouth. <laughs> Maybe I have a weird fear of gymnasts that I haven't looked into yet. <laughs> It's a fear of gymnasts and going up or down stairs. <laughs> I hate going up or down stairs, so yeah, I can... Truly terrifying. Yeah. My joints hurt just looking at her. <laughs> Roland Doe's family lived in Cottage City, Maryland in the 1940s. Their son, Roland, was an only child and was described by his teachers as shy and withdrawn and without friends. This caused Roland to depend on adults around him for companionship, most especially his Aunt Harriet. His Aunt Harriet was a spiritualist who made use of a spirit board, and after her stories of connecting with those who had passed garnered Roland's interest, she gave him one and showed him how to use it. And in between her visits, Roland would use the board on his own. On January 15th, 1949, Roland's parents went out for the evening, leaving Roland with his grandmother. During the time, both Roland and his grandmother heard a loud dripping noise that could not be located even after checking every faucet in the house. While looking for the source of the sound, both Roland and his grandmother reported that a picture of Christ hanging on the living room began to shake and swing. Um, I mean, that could be pipes, don't you think? Like pipes behind a wall? Dripping? Yeah, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense that it would just be dripping pipes that they could hear in the wall. Yeah. But there's a part later that uh, I think will actually... Demon dripping pipes. Yeah, the definitely. pipes are possessed. <laughs> let's, let's, let's continue. Okay. When Roland's parents came home, all the activity stopped and was replaced by scratching and rapping noises being heard inside the walls of the house. Like, like DJ Jazzy Jeff rapping? <laughs> I think more like uh like the raven, like rapping, rapping at my chamber door kind of rapping. Nah, more of like a biggie lady. I think that'd be much better. <laughs> Roland's father figured that it was a rodent and went about the task of locating and getting rid of it. After several days, he was unable to find it and eventually removed floorboards and wall panels in a vain attempt to locate the source of the sounds. So that's what I mean when I said, like, if it was a dripping pipe, they probably would have found that pretty quick. Not just because of the damage it creates to the wall, but... His dad started pulling walls apart looking for a rat. Yeah, but is he a plumber? No, no, The po he's not an exterminator either. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you could find, like, a rat, you know, like... But if you're removing walls, like, panels from walls, you're going to see inside the wall. So if you're going to notice a rat, you're certainly going to notice water. I mean, fair. <laughs> On January 26th, 11 days after the scratching sounds began, Roland's Aunt Harriet died in St. Louis, Missouri, leaving a substantial void in the boy's life. Shortly after her death, Roland began using the spirit board to try and contact his deceased aunt. Many believe that this is what ultimately led to the events that followed. It's worth noting that the Church of England holds the view that, quote, 
Possession does not happen of its own accord. One cannot catch demons like one can catch a common cold. A person has to be in a vulnerable position to put himself at risk in order to get possessed. The greatest risk comes from inviting a spirit into one's body. And I think that's pretty... I mean, that goes for most supernatural things. Like, you invite a demon to possess a doll, you invite a demon to possess yourself, you invite vampires inside. Like, invitation is important. What if he had his aunt, if he gave his aunt permission to go inside his body? Oh, like the demon tricked him? or his Yeah, yeah like and in Annabelle? No, I'm thinking maybe it's the aunt. Oh, like she's a demon now? Yeah, and he was like, go into my body, and she just started causing a ruckus. Ugh. <laughs> she sucks. <laughs> Once the scratching noises ceased, other strange phenomena were observed by both the family and their visiting friends. The sound of marching or shoes squeaking on the floor could be heard as well as knocks and other strange sounds. Furniture moved on its own, Roland's bed would shake violently, dresser drawers would empty themselves, and everyday objects like vases, dishes, and the telephone levitated and flew, according to witnesses. Do you know how many teenagers just leave dishes and stuff in their room and all over the place? Like, this just sounds like a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> I think there might be a subtle difference between leaving dishes out and them flying across a room. You leave dishes out all the time. I've never witnessed them flying around willy-nilly, though. <laughs> I am not a 14-year-old boy. That's incredibly true. The activity was not confined to Roland's home. It seemed to follow him even to school, where his desk was reported to slide around and shake and lift up or bang into other students' desks. So that sounds like just him, right? Like he's yeah. just sliding his desk around. Like that sounds pretty much just like Roland was also a prick in school. <laughs> Roland's family took him to a family physician and a psychiatrist who could find nothing physically or mentally wrong with him. Finally, they turned to their local Lutheran clergyman, Reverend Luther Scholes, who had an interest in paranormal phenomena. Are they allowed to? What? Have interest in paranormal phenomena? Yeah, they're freaking warriors for Jesus. Like, I think, yeah. Warriors for Jesus? <laughs> Band name, I called it. Like, the paranormal is not necessarily, like, secular, you know what I mean? It's Paranormal involves angels and demons, so, I mean, Blue. totally possible that he could have an interest in the paranormal and that would be totally okay. No, I don't know why I thought that was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus police. Jesus police will get him. After visiting with Roland at his home, Reverend Scholes asked his parents if Roland could spend the night at his parsonage with him and his wife so that they could observe him there. Reverend Scholes reasoned that if the boy was just a very clever trickster, that his stunts and tricks may not work so well at another home. I think that's pretty clever. Yeah. Reverend Scholes reported that he observed Robbie's bed shaking so violently that he eventually had to have Roland sleep on a mat with his arms folded across his chest. This goes back to 14-year-old boy. He has needs. Well, and I'm kind of... Jesus... <laughs> Well, I'm also... Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm just saying, what What else do 14-year-old boys do? Well, allegedly, they, you know, they act possessed. <laughs> what I'm curious about is whether or not he saw the bed shaking or if he heard it shaking in another room. Yeah. Like, if they were like, okay, we're going to bed, and then they hear his bed shaking, because that's easy to fake. Reverend Scholes had Roland sit in a very heavy armchair to see if he could replicate the violent shaking in such a heavy chair, and Roland was immediately thrown out of the chair by an unseen force. That sounds to me a lot like, hey, get in that chair and see what happens. And then he is, quote, thrown out of the chair. Yeah. I mean, he's off the hook then, right? Like, he doesn't have to make the chair move if he's <laughs> out of it. Uh, that, that reminds me of the the guy that would move the pages of the phone book with psionic abilities. Yeah. And then they put packing peanuts on there and suddenly he couldn't do it because he was actually blowing on it. It seems like that. Like, he's just moving it himself. I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. After returning Roland to his parents the next day, Reverend Scholes recommended the family take him to a Catholic priest to be examined. 
He did not specify why a Catholic priest would be able to help other than saying they have ways of dealing with this problem. Murder. <laughs> Murder? Gee. Murder. Yeah. Murder. <laughs> Some have speculated that Reverend Scholl suspected the boy to be a victim of demonic possession. Roland and his parents then went and met with Father Albert Hughes at nearby St. James Church. The priest spent several days observing the boy and became convinced that Reverend Scholl's suspicions were correct. Years later, Father Hughes reported that the room would drop in temperature when Roland entered the room. Because he's so cool. <laughs> and that Roland would sometimes growl at him in Latin. And that once, while talking with Roland, his telephone flew off his desk. That's all pretty, you know, spooky. Okay, so it's colder when he's in the room and his telephone is flying. Are we just going to ignore that wind exists? Do you think it was so windy? Okay, so <laughs> what your your theory is, is that like he had a window open in his office. Yeah. And a freezing gale force wind <laughs> blew in, only blew the phone off the desk, and he was like, oh man, this kid's got demons. Have you been to Kansas? It's very windy. Right, but they weren't in Kansas, which is very important. <laughs> they were in Missouri. <laughs> well, that's the same thing. <laughs> oh man. Sorry, people from Missouri. <laughs> but I mean, I don't, I don't think that that was the wind blowing only a single very heavy touch tone telephone. Or no, it was probably a rotary phone at that point. This is the 40s. That thing would have weighed a ton. The wind is not blowing that off a desk. Made you so <laughs> smug. Well, you think they forgot that wind existed? The dumbasses. I still hold to my wind theory. Ridiculous. Father Hughes was so convinced that an exorcism ritual was needed that he approached the archbishop, who instructed the priest on how to perform an exorcism. Roland was brought to Georgetown University Hospital to have the exorcism performed. Father Hughes prepared for the ritual with confession, prayer, and fasting. What does fasting have to do with this? No, it's like purifying the body before a ritual. So the whole idea of the confession is to purify your spirit by confessing any sins you might have, you know, weighing on your conscience, and then prayer to, you know, ask for guidance and strength, and then the fasting is like a way of purifying. That's actually, it exists in a lot of spiritualities, so it's not too crazy. Yeah, but how do you get a perform if you're hungry? With the will of God, jeez. <laughs> have a little God faith, man. Anime on my side. <laughs> Prior to starting the ritual, Roland's hands were tied to the mattress springs as a precaution. Roland exhibited great strength, violent tendencies, and was repulsed by anything sacred. So the priest wanted to ensure that during the ritual, Roland could not hurt himself or others. As Father Hughes began to recite the prayers for the exorcism, Roland broke a steel spring from the mattress bed and swung it at Father Hughes, severely cutting his arm. The injury was so serious that the priest eventually had to get a hundred stitches, and the exorcism was abandoned and Roland sent home. This kind of sounds like this priest didn't really know what he was doing. Yeah. This is some Lorraine Warren territory right here. Totally. I guess if it was really severely cut, then yeah, I mean, that's that's a serious injury. You gotta you gotta go ahead and get that taken care of. Sure. Was that it? Like, they just sent him home? And he was like, yeah, sorry, he's still got demons. Couldn't figure <laughs> it. <laughs> Roland's mother reported that after the failed exorcism, welts appeared on Roland's chest, spelling the word Louis, when she asked him if it meant St. Louis, where they had family. Reportedly, the words yes appeared across his stomach. The family then booked a train to St. Louis to stay with relatives. Just an aside, that seems extreme, right? Yeah. Because they live in Maryland. So the word Louis appears on his chest in welts, and she goes, oh, do you mean St. Louis? And then the word yes appears. She's like, oh, well, let's go to St. Louis. Why would you go? It seems like the demon wants to go there. Right, yeah. Like, if, if you're under the belief that this is demonic possession, 
or not if you just don't know what's happening like how do you do that where you're like hey we're gonna come stay with you for a couple weeks i hope that's cool oh yeah what's going on well um the word lewis appeared on our son's chest so we figured we probably should come for a visit that seems crazy to me do you think that maybe like the demon's name was lewis but then he felt really embarrassed like he was introducing himself yeah they're like do you mean saint lewis and he was like yeah and that's his name saint lewis (laughs) let's go to saint lewis and he's just like oh damn it A cousin of Roland's was a student at St. Louis University, and after seeing many strange things happen around him, decided to talk about it with one of her professors, Father Raymond Bishop. After hearing Roland's story from his cousin, Father Bishop contacted a pastor of College Church, Father William Bowdern. Father Bowdern had a reputation for being level-headed, sensible, and practical, and the perfect person to consult regarding a case of potential demonic possession. He was just chill, man. He's like, we'll get this, dude. I think that's what you want. I think you want someone who's going to go into it a little relaxed and chill and zen. You don't want someone going in freaking out. Like, you don't want, like, a Zach Baggins type going in there <laughs> just like, demons everywhere! Like, that's not conducive to a proper execution. Or it's, <laughs> exorcism. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> not for this poor kid. I don't know. If I was being exercised, I want someone like jazz, you know? No, dude. No. Like, if if I'm having, like, a surgery... I don't want the doctor to come in, like, with his headphones on, like, dancing and spinning around, like... I would love that. No. No, thank you. <laughs> I, I would like a professional. <laughs> no, I want a jazzy priest. They didn't say he was jazzy. They said he was relaxed. No, no, I want the opposite of relaxed. So you don't want any of these priests to help you when you're possessed? No. <laughs> the two men visited Roland at his relative's home and observed his dislike of anything sacred, his bed violently shaking, and objects flying across rooms. Roland would speak in deep, guttural voice and would spit great lengths, hitting the two men in the eyes, even when his eyes were closed. Wait, so they're at his relative's house. Yeah. How rude are his parents? Like, we're going to bring this possessed child into your home. I don't know. We don't know what the relationship was with, the with you know, the family. They might have been like, oh, yeah, bring him here. Like, we'll take care of you guys. Like, we don't know what it was like. That's true. I think it's just, it would be highly uh, imposing to you. Like, I think <laughs> you would hate someone to bring their possessed child over. I hate visitors. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. After a few visits, the priest approached the archbishop about performing an exorcism. To Bowdern, Roland's condition was obvious, and was later quoted saying, Even a seven-year-old could tell the difference between this boy and a mentally ill person. The bishop approved the exorcism with three stipulations. One, Father Bowdern had to perform the exorcism. Two, a detailed record had to be kept of the entire process. And three, Father Bowdern was not to disclose his position, the names of those involved, or the location of the ritual, which was the fifth floor of the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Um, now, the funny thing about that part where he talks about the, that they had to keep a record, Bowdern actually kept a journal about the entire experience up from when they met the kid to the exorcism, the processes that they chose for the exorcism. So what you're saying is, dear diary, today I went to go see Roland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. The thing is, there's another priest that comes in later, Walter Halloran. He also kept a journal. And his journal is the only surviving record of this event. Because for some reason, Father Bowdern's journal was destroyed. That's where he kept all his cheat codes. <laughs> That's where the annexation of Puerto Rico is uh, written down. <laughs> the, 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 the secret play from Little Giants. <laughs> if you've ever seen Little Giants, you know what I'm talking about. This is about. a very niche uh, joke. <laughs> Two other priests were brought in to assist in the exorcism, Father Walter Halloran and Father William Van Roo. Over the course of two months, Roland was subjected to 30 exorcisms. 
And during these exorcisms, the priest witnessed Roland's bed shake, words like hell and evil would appear on the boy's body, and he would speak in an abnormal tone of voice. And once a vessel of holy water went flying through the room, shattering. Roland would insult the priests, taunt them, offer them sexual favors, and at one point broke Father Halloran's nose. The priest at one point asked the demon when it would leave Roland's body, to which it responded that it would leave when he spoke the proper words. Eventually, Roland said the words, Christus Domini, or Christ Lord. When these words were spoken, all the people all over the hospital heard a loud noise like a thunderclap or a shotgun. After this event, Roland declared, it's over. It's over. Okay, okay. So you're telling me that they didn't say Christ Lord in Latin once. I think... 30 exorcisms. No, 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 I think Roland had to say it. Why did he say it? Why did he say it? Yeah. I don't know. The room that he was staying in was cleaned and sealed off in order that no one would be able to re-enter it. The hospital has since been demolished. This seems like it was never there. Okay, so there's a little bit of, like, conspiracy theory revolving around this case, because... Right, everyone get your tinfoil hats. Your, <laughs> your tinfoil hats of spooky. Oh, wait, no. The Zach Baggins hair and glasses. Get your... get your, like, get... front faux hawks in and your white sunglasses. We're going for a ride. So the conspiracy theory that sort of revolves around this story is that because there were two journals keeping track of these events... One of them was by one of the original priests that was involved in the exorcism, and the other one was by a priest that was brought in later. The original one was destroyed. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it was destroyed, but it was. Basilisk uh, tooth. Basilisk tooth? Yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened. <laughs> uh, the other one not only uh, maintains that all this stuff was paranormal, it's a little bit more sensationalized. This is the one that was kept by Halloran. Uh, Halloran is also the, he was the last surviving witness to these events. And he was consulted by movie studios and authors and historians and people that were trying to get information on the case. So because the church never really uh, acknowledged this, he got to control the narrative of what happened. So it's possible that a lot of those things got exaggerated or he was covering up what really had happened. Not to mention the fact that the, the hospital that this took place in is totally gone. And that the kid was given a pseudonym. Basically, you could say that the church was doing everything they could to protect his identity, to protect his reputation. Or you could say that they were doing everything they could to cover up a potentially terrifying demonic possession. It seems like a lot of people covering up for one person. Well, and it's not just for one person. It's also for all the priests that were involved, psychiatrists that were involved. I mean... It's a weird thing to cover up, and like they didn't really cover it up very well, because this became a huge story. It was adapted into arguably one of the scariest movies of all time, and has led to a shitload of misinformation for the church to deal with. Yeah. So it's if they were trying to cover it up, they did a terrible job. What do you think about this story? How do they know 50 years later that he doesn't remember? That's a great question, and that's actually the first thing that I thought of, was like, well, if we don't know anything about him... How do we know that he's okay or that he doesn't remember it? I actually looked at a lot of different um, sources for this. And you kind of get the same story with each one. Some say he uh, went on to be a politician. Some say that he went on to be a shoe salesman. Um, They all have these different sort of, you know, what happened to him later kind of things. But they all culminate in the same he doesn't remember any of it story. I think it's insanity. I would like to see more proof so all of this proof of his demonic possession yeah okay 
So I have some more information that may influence your opinion. Okay. I'm ready to be influenced. <laughs> Possessed by knowledge. <laughs> Mark Obsasnik, he was an author of a book called The Real Story Behind the Exorcist, a study of the haunted boy and other true life horror legends from around the nation's capital. That is a mouthful. It truly is. But he actually did a lot of footwork in terms of investigating this thing, and he questions many of the claims made by the witnesses. One is that he doesn't believe that Halloran ever heard the boy's voice change. Yeah. Um, at all. And Wait, how old was this kid? He was 14. He was going through puberty. Right, like, it's demons, like, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> it's a demon called puberty. Um, I mean, sexual favors? Like, <laughs> when you're 14, man. Halloran's account of things was not the only one that was called into question. J.B. Rhine also examined this case, and he called out uh, Scholes, the original priest, or, well, the, the reverend who was involved, and he thinks that Scholes' account of things when uh, Roland stayed at his house was exaggerated, possibly unconsciously. If you don't know, J.B. Rhine was a parapsychologist. Well, he wasn't just a parapsychologist. He was the first parapsychologist. He founded parapsychology. And he investigated these kinds of cases and sort of the link between psychology and paranormal experiences. And when he investigated this case, he found a lot of possibility for fault with most of the key players. Obsasnik also believed that Roland never spoke Latin, uh, that he just kind of uh, imitated Latin, that he had heard the clergy speak. Yeah, after like 30 exorcisms, I imagine you pick up a bit. Yeah, see that? Yeah, kind of. I think if you're hearing it spoken at you in an aggressive manner, I mean, that kind of sounds like a 13 year old just, or a 14 year old just mocking the priests. Yeah. Obsasnik also says that when marks were found on Roland's body, Halloran and the other priests failed to check the boy's fingernails for evidence that he had done it himself. But that'd be the first thing I would check. Right? That's the, the first thing yeah. you would check. Like, again, this is the 40s, though. So I don't know what, like, forensic science was like at the time. Or if the, and you don't need forensic science. You look at the body and you see nail marks and then you look at the kid's hands. It's not like... <laughs> You don't even need a magnifying glass for this type of work. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I think that to us, it's very obvious because we have 60 brains. years of information. What? Brains. We have brains. <laughs> well, I mean, we have also 70 years of knowledge on these guys. Like, we know to look under the fingernails because we watch CSI. Like, they didn't have that. So that's what I mean, like... Maybe it's the 40s. Maybe yeah, but if you have blood on your fingernails and you have blood on your body, <laughs> one could assume. That's true. I don't think you would really have to go far for that one. I think they're just ignoring a lot of the things just to make it look really cool because the clergymen are like, this is rad. So there, there's a point that Obsasnik makes later that I'll get to that actually has to do with exactly what you're saying. Huh. Obsasnik also could find no evidence of either Father Hughes' first attempt to exercise Roland or his subsequent injury. There's no hospital records that he got 100 stitches at any hospitals anywhere in that area, or that he got any stitches. Um, there's also no evidence that Roland was checked into the Georgetown Hospital where the original exorcism was performed. Um, he also found that much of the commonly accepted information about this story is either based on hearsay, not documented anywhere, or was never fact-checked. So he did a lot of fact-checking on his own, and that's kind of where he found all this stuff. Um, he did find ample evidence, however, refuting claims that Father Hughes had later had an emotional breakdown and disappeared from the Codger City community. Apparently, that's part of the 
sort of um, spoken word part of this. It's I, I couldn't actually find this written down in any articles about this, except for from Upsatnik, where he Upsasnik, sorry, where he interviewed neighbors and people who played with Roland when he was a kid, and that's how he found out that there was a rumor that uh, Father Hughes had had an emotional breakdown. But he could find he actually found out that, that was completely false. There was just a rumor. Do you think he got possessed and then he had a breakdown? I think he made some lies up about a possessed boy. Do and you then... think that he didn't pay his car bill so he got repossessed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> I'll go along with that too. Good. And according to Opsasnik, individuals associated with the case were influenced by their professional specializations, which is a little bit of what you were talking about. He said that to psychiatrists that were involved in the case, Roland just suffered from a mental illness of some kind. The priests that were present and that participated in these events, they thought it was demonic possession through and through. And to the writers and film producers that were interested in the case and that interviewed people and gathered information, they just saw a great story. Each one of these parties claimed that they had examined all the facts, but uh, Opsasnik found out that that was actually the opposite of the truth. That most of them manipulated the facts and emphasized the information that sort of fit their own agendas it's more fun and i think it's uh that your experiences are sort of painted with the broad brush of your expectations so if you're a priest expecting demonic possession you're sort of priming yourself to go in and see a possessed boy and if you're a psychiatrist who doesn't believe that you're going in primed with the idea that there's some kind of mental illness we need to look for that obsessnik also conducted interviews with several of the neighbors and childhood friends of Roland, which I found that part really interesting because he was described in multiple sources as having no friends, which is why he was such close friends with his aunt. But he concluded from talking to them, kind of getting a canvas of the area and of the people that knew him, that he was really just a very clever trickster of a kid who pulled pranks on his parents and his friends all the so time. So do you think that all of this was because the kid was an asshole and then eventually he just got bored and he's like, oh, it's done. Yes. Oh. Uh, yes, I totally think that. <laughs> Upsasnik actually describes him as, as being... As an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> well, this he, kid was a douchebag. As a spoiled, bratty bully. Oh. Yeah, and he basically thinks that he threw tantrums to get attention, to get out of school, to get what he wanted, or just to trick people. So, I mean, and, that, and this is he's an independent reporter. He basically investigated this on his own, and he came to these conclusions after the fact. So would you like to hear possible explanations for this story? I would. So the first one is the most obvious, which is that he was genuinely possessed by demonic forces. Right. So what do you think of that? I think it's pretty probable that when he was playing with the Ouija board, his aunt was the one who possessed him. And she was pissed, so she started throwing stuff around. Pissed why? Because she's dead. Wouldn't you be? That's a clingy aunt. Well, yeah, they only hung out with each other, right? Well, no, they said that he only hung out with her, but then Upsasnik was able to debunk that and said he had lots of childhood friends. Yeah, but if he was a bully, then I don't... Right, I think I think he had playmates who, like, he played with them. They didn't really play back, you know what I mean? Oh, maybe the aunt came back because she found he was a douche, and then... She's like, I'm gonna straighten this kid out. yeah. One of the other, I, okay, I don't think it's demonic possession. I'm just going to put that right out there. I don't think he was possessed by demons. And not, not also to stomp on people's beliefs. Because like, I know there are people who believe in demonic possession, believe in demons, and believe that this is a real danger, that you could place yourself 
sort of in a spiritual struggle for the, your freedom and for your soul. And I don't want to disabuse anyone of that belief. I just don't think that this particular case yeah. was a case of demonic possession. Yeah, I think as probably just a 14-year-old boy just trying to figure himself out and trying to get attention. Well, and also he went through a pretty traumatic event. His aunt, who he was very close to, died. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I, I think that that would put anybody in a weird state. You could say a paranormal state. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you said that because I think everyone has forgotten about that show. <laughs> it's forever in my heart. It's forever in your heart. Another explanation was mental illness. There was a book called Evil. I think it was like Satan's Spirits and the Demonic or something like that. Um, but it was written by these two psychiatrists who examined this case as sort of an examination of evil as a Christian concept. They thought that mental illness was improbable. And the reason for that is the two mental illnesses that were most frequently cited as a possibility was schizophrenia, dissociated identity disorder, or dissociative identity disorder, DID. The reason that they discount both of these is because generally schizophrenia affects people older than Roland was. But also, once the exorcism was completed, any symptoms that he had disappeared. And schizophrenia and DID don't just vanish. Another psychiatrist postulated it could have been a form of Tourette's syndrome. And I know most people are fairly familiar with what Tourette's is, but there is also a little bit of misinformation about it. Most people, when they think of Tourette's, they think of people cursing involuntarily and shouting. And those are phonic tics or vocal tics, and those are actually kind of rare. You're more likely to have motor tics. Yeah, um, a lot of facial tics facial tics and moving of the joints and things like that but again it's the same situation where the symptoms completely vanished after the exorcism and that's just not a thing that happens with mental illness so one of the other explanations that was put forward by some people was group hysteria because we have 48 people in total that witnessed these events and testified as to their validity i don't really believe the group hysteria one because they weren't all together I absolutely believe that. Remember when everyone thought they saw, like, a leprechaun in, like, 2005? (laughs) And they had that picture of him, and that's what they saw. Like, I can believe that. Like, one person heard that, like, a pickup is nice. Like, oh, yeah, I knew that kid, and I saw everything. See, now, that's not group hysteria. That is a, like, uh, Emperor's New Clothes-style fear of exclusion. Mm Mm-hmm. So you'll, you want to be part of the group. So you go, oh, yeah, I saw. Yeah, definitely. That was, you know, he seemed super possessed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> very demonic, that kid. I, I just, said that about some kids. <laughs> group hysteria is more like um, the story of like the toxic lady where multiple people are in the same setting together and they all start to experience the same thing because they're all kind of hyping each other up. But here you have multiple people who are in different places, different times, because this is over the course of two months, or, or more than that, because two months was just the time for the exorcisms at the um, uh, the, the one hospital. Yeah. That's a lot of people spread out over time. I don't think it's a group hysteria kind of thing. One of the other uh, explanations is he made it all up. Roland made all of this up and tricked a lot of people. And that's the one I definitely believe. Do you think he did all of this to get out of school? Because I for sure would have done this to get out of school. <laughs> One time I tried to drink Pantene Pro-V to make it look like I threw up to get out of school. And then I got really sick from it. Do you know how easy it is to make yourself throw up? You don't have to 
drank Pantene Pro V. Well, what gonna, the hell was wrong no, with you? I was gonna put it in my mouth and like spit it out like it had been throw up because my mom can't tell the difference between puke and shampoo. <laughs> and then you realize you were just drinking shampoo. Then I accidentally swallowed it. <laughs> so kids do crazy things to get out of school. That's how. Yeah, okay, that's Jesus. <laughs> oh man. That's just crazy. That's ridiculous. How crappy was school? <laughs> Pretty crappy. Oh, God. I don't think it was to get out of school. I literally think it was attention-seeking behavior. His aunt died, and he was feeling some kind of void. I think this was a, a very bizarre way that he was dealing with grief. Especially the fact that, as an adult, they say he has no memory of it. Yeah. I think that's a cop-out. Like, I don't believe him at like, all. Like, has he tried food? <laughs> like, he could have just eaten a bunch instead of... <laughs> That's how I cope. <laughs> he just ate, ate his way to happiness. Yeah. Well, I think when he says that he doesn't remember it, I think that that's a cop-out. I think it's just he's embarrassed because he was a kid and he did a really dumb thing. And kind of the whole world, in a way, knows about it through the film, The Exorcist. And could you imagine the cringy things you did at 14 years old? It's just every <laughs> single person knows. Oh, oh. Luckily, there's no social media back in the 40s. <laughs> One of the other explanations is that the church made it up. The Catholic Church, the diocese that uh, the archbishop who approved the exorcism was at, that, that they made it all up. Because we don't actually know his name. And there's no records of him being checked in anywhere. But this is another one that I don't believe. Because this particular case actually created so much misinformation in the church and in the public about what exorcism was, when it was necessary, what demonic possession was... So much so, in fact, that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has a page on their website that answers exactly what an exorcism is, how it's performed, why it's performed, who can do it, all kinds of stuff. So the thing in the beginning where Father Hughes like went to the kid's house to do the exorcism by himself, that is not allowed. You One, you don't do it by yourself, and you don't do it at their home. They generally want the exorcisms to be done at a church or some other sort of like bastion of spirituality to basically like it's easier to fight a demon on holy ground than it is, you know, in the house. They also talk about how anonymity is, is that the word anonymity? He's anonymous. They talk about anonymousness <laughs> and how yeah. that's, is it anonymity? Why don't I know this word? I feel like that's right. Anyway, about anonymousness, they talk about the importance of that because they want to protect the reputation of the afflicted. The parts of the story that talk about the exorcism and how it was performed and the stipulations that the bishop put forward, that actually all jives with what they would really have done. So I think, though, that when you have something like this, this uh, conference of Catholic bishops putting forward a page on their website to clear up any misinformation, that's pretty substantial damage control right there. I mean, even from the website, I'll read, since so much of the common perception of the nature and application of exorcism is shaped by the exaggerations of movie scripts and television programs, the Committee of Divine Worship has approved dissemination of these basic questions and answers in hopes that clear information is brought to bear on a topic that is often shrouded in mystery and misinformation. So, with all this new information, what do we think now? I think the kid was really bored. And as we learned from one of the other episodes... I was going to say, that's your explanation from the parent family haunting. Yeah. Like, bored kids. Yeah. Kids go crazy when they're bored. My mom, <laughs> I told her, I was like, when you listen to this podcast, do not tell dad. It's like, oh, about the ghost and Sandy Hook. And I'm like, 
they still remember that ghost. <laughs> so kids do dumb things that have long-term repercussions when they're born. <laughs> and as far as like paranormal stuff goes, this is by no means the first instance of kids taking uh, claims of the paranormal too far. Yeah. Uh, what The one that comes to mind is the Enfield haunting is like the most famous one where it's like a bunch of bullshitters <laughs> <laughs> who are children. Yeah cause a big uproar in the paranormal community so i think it's safe to say this is likely not a paranormal event it's hardly paranormal (laughs) (laughs) that's too dumb it's too dumb i love it but it's too dumb anyway so last week we asked you what your favorite state specific cryptids were and Lacey is gonna read some of your answers from facebook we have tracy who just learned about the swamp ape and school of croc this week what is the school of croc you know i have no idea Oh, man, we got to ask her about that. Yeah. And Swamp Ape, that's from Florida. Yeah. That makes sense. Is it the Swamp Ape or the Skunk Ape? Swamp Ape. So this is a new cryptid I've never heard of. And I just accurately guessed that it's from Florida. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to look that up. Very cool. Um, Christian said the Rougarou. It's a Louisiana swamp werewolf. What is with all the hairy swamp creatures? You know, you think they wouldn't have hair being in the swamp. Ugh. And then China said skinwalkers. Oh, yeah. That's one I'm very um, passionate. It's not the word, but I'm really into skinwalkers because they are super terrifying. And a lot of the First Peoples communities super believe in them. Mm -hmm. And then Miriam said Sasquatch, which is very near and dear to our hearts. True enough. That's the OG cryptid. Yeah. And we love Bigfoot. Love Bigfoot. We stand Bigfoot. It's the best. We love you, Bigfoot. Right into the show, please. <laughs> and then Emily said, the Jersey Devil and Sasquatch. So we're Team Sasquatch here. Team Sasquatch. And lucky for her, we actually did an episode on the Jersey Devil. Yeah. Thank you for all your answers. Um, This episode's question is, what do you think about Ouija boards? Uh, have you ever used one? Would you, if you haven't? Have I you ever? one I glowed in the dark. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. I had one from Parker Brothers that was made out of cardboard, and I spilled grape juice on it and ruined it. Do you guys, have you ever used a Ouija board? Have you had any weird experiences? We would love to know, because that's what a lot of people believe was sort of the catalyst for Roland Doe's story. And if you like this episode, you can follow us on Twitter at HardlyParanormie, with a Y, on Instagram at HardlyParanormal, and you can like and join our Facebook group, Hardly Paranormal. And you can subscribe, like, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments or want to send us suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at hardlyparanormal at gmail.com. Did you have anything else that you wanted to tell our lovely listeners? I love you. I love them too. They're all so nice and friendly. I really hope Sasquatch listens because I want to give him hunts most of all. Please, Sasquatch. Please, we're calling out to you. Call me. He's like tall, has a lot of hair. Like, it's kind of my jam. Woodsman-y, too. Like, yeah. he's an outdoorsy type. Oh, I bet he smells like pine. Pine and wood smoke. Yes. I have a crush on Sasquatch, and I think it's becoming a problem. My beard now is called into question. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have one? I didn't when we got together. <laughs> <laughs> I demanded of all my lovers. <laughs> <laughs> So that is the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We will see you next time. And remember, it's probably just the wind.